If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 31. Isaiah chapter 31. We're going to be on page 753 if you're using the Bible that's provided in the pew rack in front of you. We're going to be in chapters 31 and 32, which makes pages 753 and 754 in those Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. As you turn there, I'm going to take a sip of water, and then I'll pray and we'll begin. Okay. Would you pray with me? God, as we open your word now, we plead, we ask, we yearn for your mercy. We pray, God, that you would do the supernatural work of ministering your word to our hearts. We pray that you would help us to see the things that we must see not just for intellectual comprehension, but for the sake of our very souls, for the sake of our lives as we serve and we follow you and we entrust ourselves to you. God, we desperately rely upon you for mercy as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lisa Beamer, the widow of Todd Beamer, who was one of the individuals who courageously fought to retake United Flight 93 on September 11th, and eventually the plane crashed into the countryside in western Pennsylvania. Her husband was the one who was heard on the recording saying, let's roll, as they made their move to the front of the plane. But Todd and Lisa Beamer and their family, they were Christians. And not long after 9-11, excuse me, Lisa Beamer recounted a couple of different memorial services that she had recently walked through. One was the more private uh, memorial with their family, their church, uh, the funeral for her husband, Todd. It was a distinctly Christian and uh, this service of great importance to her and to her family. And then another one that she recorded was one that was just geared more towards the general public. It was actually... Uh, I don't know if it was at the site where United 93 went down, but it was somewhere out very near there. And there were political figures there, dignitaries, all of the sorts. But Beamer wrote of the service that was geared towards the general public. And maybe you've seen services like this and memorial services in times of tragedy that are just, frankly, from a Christian sense, though they're trying very hard, they, they strike you as almost watered down or lacking in hope. Lisa Beamer wrote of the service that was geared towards the public. She described it this way. I couldn't help but compare this service to the one in Cranberry the day before. Todd's memorial service had been so uplifting, so inspiring, because the emphasis had been on hope in the midst of crisis. On Monday, as I listened to the well-intentioned speakers, who were doing their best to comfort but with little, if any, direct reference to the power of God to sustain us. I felt I was sliding helplessly down a mountain, high mountain into a deep crevasse. As much as I appreciated the kindness of wonderful people who tried to encourage us, that af- afternoon was actually one of the lowest points in my grieving. It wasn't the people or even the place. Instead, it struck me how hopeless the world is when God is factored out of the equation. 
Let me ask you at the outset of this sermon this morning, Christian, how well do you hope? I didn't ask how well do you think or how sound is your theology, but how well do you hope? The sermon is titled, The Courage to Hope, because what I think we're going to see in Isaiah 31 and 32 is that hope is not a trivial matter. Hope actually demands something of us. Hope is a matter of survival. So what I want to put before you from this text today is that our Christian hope is not distant and incapable of addressing our problems today. Our hope in God actually strengthens us for whatever we face. Let me say that again. Our Christian hope is not distant or incapable of addressing whatever problems you entered in here today with. Rather, our hope in God actually strengthens us for whatever we face today. We're going to see this in two ways in chapter 31 and 32. Two senses. We're going to look. We're going to look not at our present fears, but to King Jesus. And then we're going to listen. Listen not to present lies, but to hear the promise of the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. So how well do you hope? Let's consider that in light of how we look and how we listen. First, in chapter 31, verse 1, through chapter 32, verse 8, we see how we ought to look not at our present fears, but to King Jesus. If you were to look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 31 in Isaiah, it it, it serves almost as if it's like a prologue to the next two chapters. And so our passage today has prologue in verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 32, verses 19 to 20, serve as like an epilogue. And it lays before us two different roads, two different paths. Verses 1 through 3 is a warning of disaster. And verses 4 through 5 are a promise of deliverance. In fact, look at this in verse 1. Isaiah writes, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Let me, let me pause right here. If you've been walking with us through the book of Isaiah, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel... They are small in number, small in might. This superpower, the Assyrians from the north, there's word. The Assyrians are barreling down upon them, going to capture them, going to enslave their sons and daughters, drive them out of their homes, take their possessions, kill their husbands and dads, all these things. Great fear, great, great calamity is coming upon them. So the people of Judah have said, okay, let's, let's go make a, a, a deal, a treaty with the people of Egypt south of us, superpower Egypt, so that they might protect us when the Assyrians come. So that's what's happening. But what this has revealed is this path of disaster and not trusting in God. So you see, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Verse 1 might have a ring of familiarity to you if you're familiar with language in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, where the people of Israel rejoiced. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
That's what they sang in the Psalms. But now their actions later are revealing, we trust in the horses and the chariots of Egypt. We need them. Assyria is coming. It's funny, they've kind of gone from zeal in the Lord to crisis in their present circumstance, their present situation. Maybe you can resonate with that today. I know I could. Perhaps let, let me ask it like this. Have you had times where maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years and you've had moments where you looked back on the fervency of devotion, the, 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 the passion that you had in the faith in the early days after you became a Christian, and you realize that some of that fervency, some of that passion, some of that steadfast faith in God has worn off, has lost its luster. Maybe you've had plans that were turned upside down. Maybe you've had a heart broken in painful, unreasonable ways in which you thought there's nothing good that can come of this. All I have known is agony. Perhaps you read this or you hear this or you hear the words of Isaiah and you've been observing this as we've made our way through it. And you said, what is the problem with going to Egypt for help? I don't get it. Can't they pray and ask God for protection and then also try to make arrangements so that they are protected via the hand of Egypt? Well, the problem here for the people of Judah is not that they're going to Egypt. The problem is that their hearts have already gone to Egypt. Their hearts have departed from trusting in God. So the disaster that they are being warned about is not a disaster of the Assyrians. It's a disaster of their hearts departing away from the Lord their God. It's a disaster of distrust. In fact, see this in verse 3. God says to them, The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hand... The helper will stumble, and he who has helped will fall, and they will all perish together. So there's this warning of disaster because all the the people of Judah see is that which is right before them. All they see is the natural. And God is saying, your minds have been turned away from my supernatural hand and reign over you. So when you fail to hope in God... You invite disaster. But here the deliverance that is in the mighty work of God. Listen to how God is described in verses 4 and 5. For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like the birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Do you see how God kind of articulates and illustrates his protection and his reign over his people here? He uses the illustration of a lion and a bird. Like a lion that is, that is standing majestically over, that is standing majestically over its prey. And there are shepherds and there are other animals kind of chirping at it, trying to bark at it, and the lion just stands there unmoved. God is saying, I'm standing over you unmoved. Assyria will not bring your harm. But you don't see this. But not only like a lion standing majestically in might, like birds hovering graciously, gently, tenderly, uh, uh, protecting Jerusalem. 
nourishing her like like a bird builds a, a nest in a tree with gentleness and with delicate care and touch. God says He will protect and deliver it. He will spare it and rescue it. So when I ask you at the outset, how well do you hope? I ask you, how well do you see? Do you see only the natural right before you? Calamity raining down upon me. Uh, A disaster is coming my way. I can't help but fear that which is coming around the corner. Or do you see the majestic, mighty, ruling reign of God over you? What Isaiah holds up before us, if you've ever, you ever seen on TV or on a video where uh, a camera is like zoomed in on the near, that which is right in front of you, the, the background is blurry. Or vice versa, if the background is, is, is clear and vivid, that with the person or the uh, object that is in the foreground is blurry. Isaiah is saying, you guys are so zoomed in on which, that which is right in front of you, the background of God's glory and his might and his reign over you is blurry and you can't see it. What he's holding up before us is that the way in which we serve and we trust God is by seeing the background and allowing that to add light to what we see right in front of us. So as we see the, 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 the care and the might and the goodness of our God, then that is the lens by which we see that which is coming right before the pike right in front of us. It's this matter of supernatural and natural. If I'm, if I'm bogged down by the natural, I don't see the supernatural and I fall into disaster. Listen to the exhortation in verse 6, revealing this, this unmistakable connection between matters of faith and of reality. In fact, pause right here. Now, you might think or you might have heard some kind of terminology or parlance before that says basically like, well, okay, my faith is a matter that I keep here and and I go about my life and I do this and my faith is kind of like this little thing I get out of the box and my relationship with God and I I do it on Sundays and then I put it back and and then I got to go address everything going on in the rest of the world and got to handle my business the rest of the week. What Isaiah holds before us is that our understanding of, of, of what, is, what is naturally before us and, and the supernaturality of our faith, these two cannot be separated. How we understand they interact with each other actually says what we reveal about where our heart really lies. So Isaiah in verse 6 says, Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold which your hands have sinfully made for you. So what Isaiah holds up before us is that how you live today will be overwhelmingly informed by what you think God holds for you tomorrow. How you live today will be overwhelmingly informed by what you think God holds for you tomorrow. So in one sense, it's not a matter of what do you trust in or where's the source of your hope. We all trust. We all place our hope in something. Is it the Egypts that we look for for protection? Or is it God? That is the question that lies before us. Let me look at it another way. What we have a responsibility to, what we have to understand about the Christian faith is that it's not just intellectual, but it is experiential. Uh, Ray Ortland and Jonathan Edwards, Ray Ortland quoting the the uh, great theologian Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I, I don't know where the Edwards stuff ended and the Ortland stuff began. I read it in an Ortland book, so I'm citing both of them here, Ray Ortland and Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Ortland writes, we know things at two levels. 
regrasp with conceptual knowledge in our heads. We also enter into things with the sense of the heart. It's a difference between reading a recipe for apple pie and actually putting a piece of hot apple pie into your mouth. God has made us to know him at both levels, with the thoughts of our minds and with a sense in our hearts. And it's the sense of the heart that gives us traction. When his assurances in the gospel melt into our hearts, it is then that we experience the power of hope. So maybe as we make our way towards the Christmas season, the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, you have concerns that are weighing down upon you related to your family or related to circumstances at home in some capacity. Maybe even you're thinking about, oh, I've got to get the Christmas cards done. And it's not too late if that just registered with you and that's kind of your thing. But you, you, you had this idea of, I really wish my family and the circumstances at home were a little happier like we depict on the Christmas cards. And you are concerned or fearful over an unraveling that you are walking through, even in some of the most difficult circumstances in your life, some of the most difficult relationships in your life. Well, what we see in Isaiah is that God does not call us to denial and detachment from reality, but God says, allow me to step into that reality and allow me to address it it in the way in which only I can. See, what we find when we are forced to trust God as the foundations that are under us crumble is that the attributes that we read about God throughout the Bible, the things we say we believe about Him, His love, His wisdom, His might, His goodness, all of these things that we say we believe, as the world around us is falling apart, as the foundation under us is shaking, we realize whether or not we truly believe and are truly clinging on to these things. They must not be ideas in our minds. They must be footholds for our faith. May God give us grace to trust in His wisdom when He does not answer that prayer that you so desperately prayed for, when He doesn't answer it the way you want to. Do you trust in His wisdom and in His insight and in His care for you? Or do you charge Him with injustice or mistreatment? May God give us eyes, each of us, to see his goodness as we walk through the bombed-out rubble of pain that others or even ourselves have inflicted upon us. May he help us to see his goodness when we feel our life is full of bad. May God give us the grace to trust his providence, to bring you to still waters and to green pastures, even though at this moment you feel you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. see, all the good things we say about God and all the good things we say about His greatness and His might, and we even sing about Him, we find out whether or not we really believe them when the metaphorical Assyrias are barreling down upon us and we don't know where to turn. See, we set our plans and we expe- our expectations and then we unfold them before God like a Christmas list. Okay, God, here's how I need you to act. Here's what I expect of you. Here's, here's how, as I look at this situation, and I think, God, I think I've got a pretty good grasp on it. So here's, let me go ahead and save you some of the legwork, some of the investigative work, and let me go ahead and tell you how I think you should work this problem out. I don't know if you've ever done that. That's how I go about my prayers far too often. 
as we began this church replant, I had a list of expectations for God that was a mile long some two and a half years ago. Whether it's COVID or people moving away or other challenges that have come about, we've found things that have not progressed in some ways in which we've planned. But what we have found is that God is faithfully bringing people to faith in himself. He has been good in growing us in the faith as a church family. God has shown us that he is far greater than our plans or our prayers ourselves. He truly is that lion that is not terrified of the noise that terrifies us. And he truly is that loving bird that hovers in faithful care, building the nest that is our refuge and security. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like the birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. We must be careful. We must be careful that our distrust does not manifest itself in giving God instruction on what he is supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it. The record throughout the Bible of figures throughout Scripture telling God how they think he ought to do things is vast and long. And do you know that 100 times out of 100, God does things the way in which he designs to do them. And he works them for his good. One such example that came to my mind, even as I prepared this this week, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, began to tell his disciples that he would suffer and that he would die and that he would be crucified and that all these things must take place for his glory and for their good. And and Peter made a big stand and said, no way, Lord, not over me. And Jesus said to him, what? You know, Peter, you're right. I hadn't thought of it from that angle. No, he said, get behind me, Satan. What Isaiah is setting before you and before me is a recognition that all that threatens your destruction, all the fears that keep you awake at night, all the things that you don't want to look square in the eye, they will be swallowed in the glory of King Jesus. But don't take my word for it. Take Isaiah's word for it. So God tells the people of Judah in verse 6, turn away from these idols that you have trusted in. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, and the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror. That word for rock there, what that, that actually indicates the king of Assyria. The king shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Maybe a word of comfort for you today is maybe you feel the fire of your heart is burned out. Look to the God whose fire is still burning. He is a consuming fire. Come find warmth with him. See, look at verse, or chapter 32, verse 1. 
God has just said in verse 9, his rock shall pass away in terror. And then 32 verse 1, he says, behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. You see, Isaiah contrasts a coming king with a king that you fear that will be destroyed. This king in verse 1 of chapter 32 is our King Jesus, who will reign in righteousness. It'll be like a hiding place, a shelter, streams of water in a dry place, shade in a weary land. What Isaiah is showing us, and the Bible holds out clearly for all of us, is that nations rise and fall, riches go up and down, they rust, they rot, they ruin. But ultimately, Isaiah invites you and me, he invites us to find liberation, to find emancipation from slavery to the fears that cripple us and find that liberation in the rescue of King Jesus. If you are not yet a Christian or you're wrestling with the Christian faith, let me take what we're seeing in Isaiah here and just give you a caution, a word of caution. Forsake your idols before they forsake you. Forsake your idols before they forsake you. What we see in Isaiah is that Egypt, for all its power, it is not going to be able to protect. So wherever it's relationship that you cling to, whether it's other forms of security in wealth or in health or in any other capacity, anything that you seek your protection in from the storm, and you seek it somewhere, turn your heart from it, from seeking ultimate rescue in it, and turn to the king of Isaiah 32 who offers you shelter from the storm. In fact, I invite you, after our service even, I'll be either up here or downstairs. Feel free to grab me and say, hey, help me understand more what it means to follow Jesus. It would be my honor to do so. So what Isaiah sets before us is that we should not look to our present fears, but look beyond them to the reign of King Jesus. And in doing this, we actually see in verses 3 through 5 how Jesus begins to inaugurate a promise of a coming reign where all that is broken is made right, where all that are dead are are made alive, where all that are sick are healed, where all that are uh, blind will see. And he says in verse 3, Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. King Jesus brings rightness and reorienting of all that is wrong and broken. And healing is found in Him. So how do I hope? I look 
to King Jesus and look to his promised reign and know that he reigns now and that he will reign for all of eternity and that helps me whatever I fear is coming upon me. But not only do I look, secondly, I listen. I listen not to present lies, but hear the promise of the outpouring, not only of the Son of God, but the Holy Spirit of God. If you remember, in the, as we kind of make our way through this part of Isaiah, as I said, the leaders of Judah, they're rushing to Egypt, seeking protection. But Isaiah now addresses a different group of the people of Judah, uh, some women who just lived in the city and were going about their business and were enjoying life. And uh, if, if there's a frantic fear and a distrust of God that we saw on the part of some, now we see a complacency and a distrust of God through a carelessness and a lack of, and a, and a lack of awareness of their own need. So look at verses 9 through 11 and actually see the word complacent repeated over and over and over again. Isaiah says in verse 9, Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. In little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. For the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare and tie sackcloth around your waist. So first we saw active distrust in God. I got a problem going to Egypt. That's active distrust. Now we see passive distrust in God. Full harvest, bountiful provision. I'm fine. I'm taking care of it. All that I need is right here. These women represent a deadly happiness. They shatter the notion that ignorance is bliss. Maybe this is a warning that we need today. Perhaps you aren't running around because you feel some great crisis is looming. Perhaps you say, I actually feel pretty good, Stephen. Work is good. Had a good checkup at the doctor. Patriots have won two in a row, three in a row. Celtics are showing signs of life. I think I'm doing pretty good. Family is good. Life is good. I made it through the storm all right. No trees down on my property. Kids got accepted to a great school. Things are going great. Well, this is where this passage grabs you. If things are good, praise God. Praise God that you are currently sailing through calm waters. But as you sail through those calm waters, pray that God would keep the feet of your soul tethered to solid ground. I know the illustration doesn't work, calm water, solid ground, but you know what I mean. See, here's what Isaiah shows us about how Satan works to distort, uh, destroy, wreak havoc upon our souls. Satan wants to do one of two things. He either wants you to think that God cannot protect you. That's the, we're going to Egypt, we need help. He either wants you to think God cannot protect you, or he wants you to think you don't need God. Everything is good. The heat's running. Got the new car. Work is good. Vacation coming up. Looking forward to the holidays. Easy street. Satan wants you to either think you can't trust God or you do not need God. Be on the lookout for both. And make no mistake, we face this danger. We live in affluence. 
We have world-renowned health care at our fingertips. As Dave prayed for those who are persecuted for the faith, our brothers and sisters elsewhere in the globe, we do not fear this in our day and age. Sure, we deal with, you know, the, our Christian faith being out of step in some ways with uh, our culture and, and, and with, with where we see our culture going, but that is minor compared to the threats that so many others of our brothers and sisters face elsewhere around the globe. And so what happens as we walk down this road of abundance and as we bring in the, the bountiful harvest and assume that the bountiful harvest is going to continue and continue and continue as these women did in verses 9 through 11 is that we slowly, casually, we get rocked to sleep by all the comforts we enjoy and we subtly lose sight of God until we look up one day and amidst all of the pleasures of life, we find that God has just kind of become not a pleasure but pesky. Not a delight, but distant and disinteresting. And then all of a sudden, some kind of turmoil comes upon us and we've lost sight of God and we don't know where to turn. And even if you've seen the movie Castaway and you know Tom Hanks' character tries to make the, he makes the raft and he says, all right, I'm leaving this island. He's got little Wilson, his volleyball. And so he sets out across the ocean with his volleyball there and he falls asleep. He's exhausted, no food and all that. And all of a sudden Wilson falls off and starts to drift away in the ocean. And Hanks' character wakes up and he tries to swim to Wilson, but it's too far. He can't get to him. We get lulled to sleep. And we wake up and the God that we once thought we clung to is too far gone. This is a warning here for us from Isaiah. Back some 400 years ago, the Swiss built a ship. It was called the Vasa. It was supposed to be the most technologically advanced ship of its day. Supposed to be able to stand up to the dangers of the Spanish Armada. So they built this mighty, majestic ship that they were very proud of, and it had all the, uh, all the strengths that, that uh, could have in its day or, or appeared to have. So the day the Vasa was set to set sail out of a harbor there, a number of people gathered, and they're celebrating. Look at our might. Look at our strength. Look at our ship we have built. And as they watched it sail out into the open waters of the ocean, it made it about 1,300 meters before it was sailing, 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 and just kind of went, ooh. Tipped over and sank. What they found is that for all the strength that it projected above the water, it had very little ballast below the water. That's what caused it to sink. Faith above the water can look mighty impressive, but our trust in God and our hope in Him nurtured under the water is what survives in the storm and keeps you from sinking. So, you can be here every week, but how is your hope? Is hope something you strive for in God? Is hope something in Christ and in His Spirit and His work in you that you desperately cling to? Or is it absent and lacking because you feel you have no need to hope in God? Everything is good, pleasant. I encourage you, in this day of ease and of comfort and peace and of calm and of 
and, and of the, 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 the wind at your back and of open oceans before you. How do I fight complacency? Well, may I encourage you to take advantage of the chinks in the armor that you might experience even in a good, safe, easy life. Practical tips. Resolve to acknowledge and to even laugh about your gray hairs and new wrinkles. Be serious about these kinds of reminders that our bodies are but a mist that is here one moment and vanishes the next. Be reminded that we are but temporal. We are here but for a moment. And allow that to cause you to rejoice and trust in our eternal God. Perhaps you are doing great financially. You are doing well. If all is well with you, step out in faith and give more to the work of the church, to, causing, to the cause of making Christ known. Challenge yourself to be more generous towards the cause of Christ in the church or elsewhere. We are, we're about to proceed forward in adopting a mission strategy and, 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 and adopting and, and beginning to support a mission work or two, and we'll need money to do this. Now, those of you that are regulars here, you know I never talk about money. I can't remember the last time I talked about money. And I want you to hear me say this, that I don't say this out of some great need that we have. Well, we're in November, right? So last month was October. Our giving in the month of October was about 20 to 30% above budget. We're fine. Let us steward our resources all the more to making Christ known. And let us recognize and even take advantage of opportunities to say, okay, all is good. Now, I'm going I'm to lean a little more forward in this so that the name of Christ might be made known, that we might support a little more in causing Christ's name to be proclaimed where it is not yet proclaimed. Perhaps another way of exercising out of that complacency is to seek greater awareness and commitment and prayer and support towards work, works of God that are happening elsewhere around the globe, particularly in places where following Christ carries far greater challenges. I'd love to help connect you with uh, just information on ways you can pray for brothers and sisters in, in areas of the world where the name of Christ brings scorn and reproach and even threats of violence. Maybe you say, I'm going to fervently pray for churches and works in these places, recognizing that I am comfortable here, but they know nothing of comfort there, and I'm going to lift them up. I'd love to introduce you to these works. And then look at as we begin to conclude in verse 14 through verse 18. As Isaiah warns of the complacency that has come upon these women of Judah... He says, he, he, he tells them, here's what's going to come upon you. Here's what is going to come upon you as the Assyrians come. The palace is forsaken. The populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys. A pasture of flocks. Basically saying all the land and everything you enjoy now, it's going to be ruins. It's going to be wild animals are going to be traipsing through town. And and and. Uh, thorns and briars and everything going to, vegetation going to be taking over. The populous city will be deserted. 
Then listen to verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. What he's saying here with this pouring out of the Spirit of God? He's saying the hand of God will then begin to bring new life where there was once just death and desertion and decay. And we are evidence of that here today, brothers and sisters. Do you realize that? As followers of Christ, we are recipients of the outpouring of the Spirit of God that has brought new life to our once spiritually dead souls. If you say, I don't know if I have that new life, talk with me. Help me explain what it means to go from death to life in Christ. Observe with me right here in the middle of Isaiah the promise of a coming king, the promise of an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon His people. This is distinctly Trinitarian, the work of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We enjoy this in one sense today, but we anticipate it for all of eternity. You know, if you ever have a sickness that you go to the doctor and they start talking medical jargon and prescribing medicine and all this, and then you, you, don't, you don't hear all they say. You don't, they don't register all for you. And then you say, okay, I take this medicine and I'll be better in a few days. Or your car is breaking down, so you take it to the mechanic and the mechanic comes in and says, all right, here's what, all that we need to do. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to order this part. We've got to order this part. We've got to connect this hose. We've got to unplug this. We've got to re- redo this. We've got to do all this. And you say, I don't know what they're talking about, but you just trust that the mechanic is going to give you a car that works in a day or so. That's sometimes how we approach the Christian faith. We say, okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all this stuff happening in the Bible. I don't understand how it all works. I don't know really it matters to me, but I know ultimately I think it works out okay and I'm, I'll be all right. Well, in one sense, yes. But in another sense, what we see that Isaiah gives us here, what God gives us through Isaiah, is that he gives us the promise of how he will work. He gives us the, the, the triune God revealed before us to see and to behold as a servant of our joy in the midst of complacency, the battle with complacency, or the battle with concern over the, the fears that are coming around the corner. This is an invitation to enter the throne room of God and see the love and wisdom of God the Father. It's an invitation to enter the throne room of God and see the triumph of God the Son over death and sin. It's an invitation to see the promise and the seal of the Holy Spirit establishing you in the faith and building the church in a manner that nothing can destroy her or you. So as we enter into the theater of God's glory and we see the loud cries of today, the loud cries that threaten us, the loud cries that worry your heart, they will be turned to a whimper and then eventually transformed into the very praise of God's name. So we began in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 31 with a warning of disaster but a promise of deliverance. And it's almost like Isaiah lays before us an option. You can go this way or you can go this way, but you cannot have both. And now you see in the prologue, chapter 32, verses 19 and 20, 
And it will hail when the forest falls down. And the city will be utterly laid low. Pause here. The forest is all that dwells and try in the city, all that tries to build itself up, creation and all that tries to build itself up apart from the power of God, trusting in its own might and its own wisdom and its own strength. And it will all be laid low. But happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. You will not be laid low. You will be at peace. So, what lies before us is the fact that as Christians, hope is not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of survival. It's not a matter of do you hope. It's a matter of what do you hope in. So, will you join me? We lock arms together, praying that God would give us the courage to hope, not in what we see before us naturally, not in the fears that paralyze us, and certainly not in the things that would bring us to complacency and a feeling as if we don't need God, but have the courage to hope and hold out the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God who reigns over us in wisdom and justice and might and goodness, our, the Son of God who, who has atoned for our sins and who gives us new life in Him, and the Spirit of God that has sealed us for Himself. And promises that that sealing, that preserving grace of God is so strong that nothing can take us out of his hand. Will you join me in this hope? For it's this hope by which we survive. Our Christian hope is not distant and incapable of addressing our problems today. Rather, our hope in God actually strengthens us for whatever we face today. Would you pray with me? God, as we consider your word, help us to be a people that are abundant in hope. Brothers and sisters in this room might have fears or crises that they feel have come upon them because they are not abundant in money. They are not abundant in good health. They are not abundant in rich and warm and full relationships. But perhaps at this time they feel poor, they feel lonely, and they feel as if they are dying or anything of the sort. Dreams have come crashing down. Desires have fallen apart. Or perhaps they feel good, at ease, complacent. Lord, whatever it is, help us to be a people, whether we feel empty or whether we mistakenly feel ourselves to be too full, help us to be a people where we are full only of hope in our triune God and of Him and Him alone. It is in the name of Christ, our Redeemer, Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen.